I keep emphasizing this, that the ultimate work of redemption is the relationship that God wants to establish between people and himself. God is not just a faraway being. He intends that his creatures, especially man, have a relationship with him. And so, the ultimate goal of this worship and the sacrifice of Christ is to bring us to that relationship. I've said at times with a number here, Man really lost nothing in Eden other than a relationship. His relationship with God was broken. That of a father and a son, if you will. Hallelujah. So I want you to understand that the very, very first thing that God really wants you to appreciate in relation to your salvation is that he is becoming your father. Amen? And if he's your father, you ought to relate to him accordingly. Praise the Lord. So, we're dealing with the part three of this subject of the issue of the will of God. And we go back again to Matthew chapter 6. Mighty chapter 6, and verse number 10 again, which simply says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Now there is something I want to state this evening. After the previous explanation I gave to you about the issue of the will, I made you to understand that every man that writes the will has certain persons in mind in writing his will, of which they must benefit from. You remember that? Okay. Now, there is a word with regards to the, the use of this word or the application of this principle in life, which is called interstate. Interstate means a person who has not created a will or who does not have a valid will at the time of death. And I think it's very important we understand this. We've already understood the fact that for Jesus to take back, don't you forget Isaiah 54. You remember that? God spoke to Israel and said, you no longer be a widow. Is that okay? And we established the fact that that means God married Israel before. And that Israel is a widow or being addressed as a widow is an indication that the husband to Israel died. And also did establish the fact that the marriage covenant actually took place in Mount Sinai and the official man that officiated in the, in the marriage ceremony that day Moses. How many of you can remember? Okay. And we also say that for Israel, according to Romans chapter 7, to come to the Lord, 
They must come to begin to marry a new person because the law of Deuteronomy 24 says if a man divorces a woman, which we find in Jeremiah 3, that God divorced Israel because of infidelity. Is that all right? And it is it was indicated that if you if if you if you divorce a woman, you can go back to that woman because the land will be polluted. And we made it clear that God had to become another man to be able to marry Israel. And the only condition with which that can be done is that he must die. Amen? And I will say that God, like we find in the book of Genesis and all that, God often revealed himself as at the time he was dealing with the issue, I mean the relationship he had with Israel, he was already referring himself as Yahweh. Is that okay? Uh, but we said the word salvation, even as we find that, Je I mean, that Jacob himself was speaking and making reference to the salvation that I'm waiting for, it was prophetic of the coming of Christ. And Isaiah said the same thing, that all nations shall wait and come to that salvation. And that was salvation, like I told you, is in the Greek, actually talking about Jesus, which has to do with Yeshua. And I made it to understand that when Yahweh kind of died, he rose as what? Yeshua. So it becomes possible for Yahweh now in Yeshua to remarry Israel that he has divorced in Genesis, I mean, Jeremiah 3. Are you following the picture so far? And so I'm saying this now for a man. One, one going back to recap all these is this word interstate. It clearly indicates that the person who did not write his will or created one before he died, that is the word that is used for such an individual. I want you to begin to connect something. Because we know that God died as Yahweh to remarry Israel as Yeshua, which we all have come into according to Romans chapter 7. God is not an interstate person. Why? Because he wrote his will before he died. Did you understand what I'm saying? Now? He wrote his will before he died. And that is why he said, Thy will be done. In other words, may your will be made manifest on the earth. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, the next thing I want you to see there is a testament. And don't you forget, we have this, like I often say, or like the church often speaks about the Old and the New Testament. Uh -huh. Now, a testament, like I said before, is a document that the author has sworn to be true. Testament. Applies only to disposition of personal property. Thus giving rise to the popular title of the document as Last Will or Last Testament. Is that alright? Are we together? So if we say the last testament or the first testament, then of course we are talking about what God has in mind to do, which he has written down and he said it is true before he died. Are you catching what I'm talking about? That will make you understand something that if God is not an interstate person, by implication, he wrote down his will before he died, 
and everything you wrote down in the testament is true that shows that if you believe what is in the testament you get into your portion of inheritance as God put it down before he died are you understanding this hallelujah let's get to the next page praise the Lord very important you understand that now Uh, in the book of 1st John, chapter 1, verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, amen, look at what he said, my little children, this thing write down to you that you see not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Who is an advocate? Let's move on just a little bit. He said, we have an advocate, Amen. Okay. In the original, an advocate is the same word that is rendered counselor. If you look at John 14, 16 to 26, chapter 15, verse 26, then 16, verse 7. The same word, an advocate, is the same word in the original sense. It means comforter. And when it is applied especially again to the Holy Spirit, under the general idea of a helper or a counselor, it includes both these special meanings of advocate and comforter. So please understand because it's very crucial. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is referred to as what? An advocate. Now, if John wrote this, it was in reference to Jesus Christ. He called him an advocate. Is that alright? Now, advocate, like I said, means a helper, means a comforter, means a counselor. And all of those descriptions also apply to the Holy Spirit. So that tells you this. Yahweh became Yeshua. And Yeshua became the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense? Hey, does it make sense? Okay. I have always told you before. The progressive work in the redemption of mankind as it relates to God. Remember what we read in Amos 3. The scripture says, I knew no other nation other than you. Amen? And the whole world. Which are the special relationship between God and Israel. And what we mean to indicate there is, number one, God was intending to use Israel to reveal himself to the rest of the nations. Is that okay? Now Israel seems to fail. But in that dimension of relationship, it was simply Yahweh. And so men will often refer to that as being the God of the Jews. Hallelujah. But when he became Yeshua, he became Jesus or God in the flesh. And we remember in Act 20, we say that that the blood which he shed was the blood of God. 2020. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Now, you must also understand that men often say Jesus of Nazareth. By implication, it's not a Jesus of the whole world. Are you following this? Okay. God against that world. If men will not still believe this, I will come again in another form, which has to do with the 
Holy Spirit. Praise the living God. And so, that is where you read, and I said that time with that number here again, the book of Matthew. He said, if you sin against, even Mark said it too, if you sin against the Father, you shall be forgiven. Remember that? If you sin against the Son, you shall be forgiven. But if you sin against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. Why? I will ask the question. Who is greater among the three personalities, if you want to put it that way? And they will talk about the three God, three, three persons in one head or whatever as the case may be. I don't know. But there is nothing like that. There is one God manifesting in three dimensions. Is that okay? Okay. Now, if you look at it from that perspective, even if we go by what they say, it will be three personalities making up the Godhead. Who is more important then? Because sin against the Almighty Father, you will not be forgiven. Sin against even the Son who shared his sacrifice, the blood. You can, be, you can be forgiven. But when you sin against the Holy Spirit, you say you cannot be forgiven. So what does that mean? So precisely what the scripture is saying is this. I want to redeem man. And I came to you as Yahweh. You didn't pick it. You rejected it. I came to you as Jesus. You rejected it. I have one last card that I want to play to get you back to myself. And that is the Holy Spirit. Is that all right? That's why the scripture says, No man can call on the name of the Lord Jesus except by what? The Holy Spirit. Fine. So the Holy Spirit is not doing what Jesus did in Palestine in redeeming people. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ resides in your life. And because he resides in your life, he does the same word of the advocate which he was supposed to do if you were to be a literal person. Are you getting the picture? Alright. So in that, in that capacity, you find that the respect you ought to give to Jesus if he was physically alive is the same respect you must give to who? To the Holy Spirit. Because what Jesus would do if it was there physically, that is what the Holy Spirit is doing now. I want you to catch this. Understand that, that when you have what we call, how do I put it this way now? In relation to the Gospels, you have Jesus on the other side of the cross. But in relation to the letters, you have Christ on the other side of the cross. Do you understand this? In relation to the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were the physical demonstration or practice of the Lord Jesus Christ before he died. But after he died and rose, right from the book of Romans down, act down, are you getting that? All the letters you wrote, they are written by Jesus, but now in what? In spirit form. And let me tell you something today. In relation to this, if you really must understand this, you need to pay enough respect to the Holy Spirit because he can help you to achieve everything that you are supposed to achieve. He's now your comforter. He's now your advocate. He's now everything you must think about that you don't know. The Holy Spirit knows and wants to bring you to your own inheritance in God. There's a need for you to respect the Holy Spirit as much as you respect even God if he was physically present before you. Now, why am I saying all of this? That is right. The Holy Spirit, in Christ's form, wrote all the letters. And think about it this way. A letter written to you and a story written about someone of what he did. Which one is more important? Talk to me. The letter. Because the letter is addressed to you. It's not a story. It's not a history. 
Now you can doubt that there was one man that, that, that lived called Jesus Christ. Merely looking at or reading through the Gospels. But when you realize that the letters are written to you because they are written to the church and you are part of the church, then you see the weight of the epistles. Hallelujah. You begin to see the strength of the epistles. So even if you really take your time to be studying the epistles more and more and more, sorry to say, you will live a better life than when you are reading the Gospels. Because you are reading the Gospels, you see history. Though inclusive, then you have a greater weight than when you read the Old Testament. Because from Matthew down to Revelation, they all make up the New Testament. Are you still there? You also find that the Holy Spirit was also walking in Christ while he was alive. So the whole New Testament can be ascribed to the influence and the work of what? The Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you want to get anything from the scriptures in relation to the New Testament, you must respect the Holy Spirit. Are you there? Okay. Now let's get down to the next thing I would like to make you see. Praise the Lord. I'm sure somebody is following this. Okay. And next thing I would like you to see. We're talking about the New Testament now. Now look at Matthew. It says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you. Matthew 26, 28. Hallelujah. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of understand it and it's very crucial the blood of the new testament which is shared for many for the remission of sins okay i would like to move to the next thing and let's show you another scripture there go to luke luke chapter 22 and verse number 20 this is what he has to say likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The New Testament in my blood. The new, the old. Are you there? Okay. Likewise, also the cup of the supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, when he used the word shed in the blood, it is because in every covenant, I explained this some time here, in every covenant relationship that people must enter into, blood is meant to sanctify and inaugurate that covenant, as it were. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that's what I tried to explain to you last week. Why people go to do what they do in terms of idol worship and they often slit the, the throats of animals to get the blood. Because it's a general principle that without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So even if you go to do the idol worship, is that okay? They are going to ask you to come with an animal because they know the importance of the blood in the sacrifice that they must offer. Hallelujah. Okay. But we as believers, 
we don't need to go into that because if there was supposed to be any blood that must be shed to ratify the covenant, it has been shared by who? By Christ. So your belief makes it easier for you to live. Unlike those who don't believe. Do you understand that? Okay. You don't need to be spending your money buying animals, buying fowls and chickens and all of that because you must get right with God. No. Okay, let's get now to the book of Hebrews. There are some things I want to say for the sake of time. Hebrews chapter number 8. Let's just go there very quickly. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. Hebrews 8. Very quickly. Are we there in Hebrews 8? Uh, starting from verse number 7. For if that first covenant had been fruitless, there should no place have been sought for the second. In other words, there was a problem with the first covenant. Let me explain something here. In the first covenant, God entered into it between Israel and himself. Is that alright? And it was like, no, in Mount Sinai, all the laws, whatever thing you say, we will do, we will keep. That was their own part of the covenant. But as a man or as a human being, it was not easy for them to keep their own vows and promises they make. It's like people go to the altar until they do us part and all those kind of stuff. It's the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying now? Okay. Now, they went through that, but they could not go through the vows and the promises that they made. So there was a problem with the first covenant. Basically, not on the part of God, but on the part of man. Is that okay? All right. Then, say, for finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Let's go on. I'm going to read up to verse 13 or so. Hallelujah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continue not in my covenant. Can you get that? And I regarded them not, say the Lord. They continued not was simply they couldn't fulfill their own part of the covenant. So in the New Testament, God did not want you to come into it. He entered into it himself. Do you understand that? He didn't seek your opinion this time. Praise the Lord. All right. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, in their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me what? A people. Hallelujah. Just move on a little bit. What does that mean? It means the first one of the major problems of the Old Testament was because the laws were written in tables of stone, they were not written in the heart of the people. Hallelujah. By implication, their life was supposed to be based on the point outside of them. But in the New Testament, the reference point from within is not from without. Are you still there? Okay. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to what? To the greatest. That is the same. It's not a matter of me pointing you to something written. It ought to be revelation from within your heart. Hallelujah. Are we there? For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember 
no more. And, and may, may I add this. Permit no one to remind you of your iniquities. Hallelujah. One of the reasons God has to say this is, you know, if you go down to the book of that same Hebrew chapter 9, the Bible tells us of the continual sacrifices that they were making. And anytime they go by those sacrifices, it was a reminder of the sins of the people. Anytime they go yearly to make those sacrifices, it was a reminder of the sins of the people. Now, anytime there is a consciousness of sin being reminded to you, there is never a time you're going to have enough faith in your conscience to follow God. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. In that is here a new covenant he had made the first old. Now that quick decayed and what old is ready to do what? To vanish away. And what is vanishing? It also shows I bring it in context. I mean to your life. Your old life must disappear for you to experience the new. Now when he says vanishing away, it's a clear indication that it's a progressive work. Hallelujah. And so the Bible will say, if any man be in Christ, is what? It's a new creature. All things. Your old life cannot walk with your new life. They must vanish. Hallelujah. I want you to understand that because it's very crucial. Very, very crucial. What do we have next? I want to show you something which is very important. Like I told you of interstate. Interstate, like I told you before, has to do with somebody who did not write his will before he died. Remember that? There's another word again that is very crucial in relation to covenant. And it's called codicil. Codicil means an amendment to a will. Or a will that modifies or partially revokes an existing or earlier will. Very important. In other words, if your father were to have written that the will, and there was an amendment to that will, are you there? It is simply referred to as what? Codicil. Hallelujah. Now I'm making you to see all this so that you can see progressively what God is doing. Then you can understand your place and your position. So now, amendment to a will. Remember, there was the Old Testament. Is that okay? The Bible says, yes, it's vanishing away. As that simply means, it's not because the Old Testament was bad. It was because man could not keep it. Is that okay? And God is making amendment, if I may use the word, to ensure that even what he stands for is made manifest in your life. Because it was God that wrote all of that. So we can see that the New Testament is like an amendment to the old. Now, how do I say that? Look at Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, for instance, says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness, except the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. The next place says, Hallelujah. In Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard that it was said by them of old. Listen to this. Time. Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, 
that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, not way a fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, that fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I want you to see this. What do you think Jesus is doing here? He's amending. Did you get that? He's amending the previous testament or will. Hallelujah. I want you to understand. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Okay? What did he say you should do? Leave your gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer what? Thy gift. An amendment. So the whole of mighty chapter 5 reading from number 20 is an amendment of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Are we following you so far? I agree with the adversary quickly while thou art the way with him, lest as any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officers, and thou be brought out into prison. Hallelujah. Okay, just look and look up just look at this. Uh, 27 and 28 only that we can move on. 27-28 You have heard that it was said by them of old Thou shalt not commit adultery Verse 28 But I say unto you That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her Have committed adultery with her already where So what does that mean? An amendment to the Old Testament So we are dealing with that word codicil, And it's very crucial We understand it so, what am I trying to say in all of this? Understand what God is doing in relation to redemption and your place as one that belongs to the household of faith. Okay. Now, for every covenant or testament or will that is written by an individual, the rightful person to receive those things is supposed to be an heir to the one that has written down the document. Is that alright? Okay. So, I say, headship is directly connected to a will. Another word for headship, in my own sense, is descent, which is a successor to real property. Is that okay? When you say a descendant, is that alright? Any man that have a real estate, he can have a descendant. A descendant is the one that came out of the one that have the real estate. Are we together? Okay. Now in scripture, a descendant is simply what? An heir. Okay, let's get down to the next thing. Hallelujah. In Hebrews 1, let's look at it. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Who is the heir to the estate of God, for instance? We've already defined last week what God owes. We spoke about God having the whole universe. Remember? The earth and the fullness thereof belongs to who? Belongs to God. And in Psalm 115, we're also told the earth has been given what? To the sons of men. Is that all right? And that connects to Genesis 1.26 when he said, let them have dominion. Now in Hebrews, what the Bible says, who, God, who has hundred times and the diverse man has spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet. Verse number two says, 
had in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir, look at that word, of all things, by whom also he made what? The world. So Jesus is the heir to all things. Everything put together. It means God didn't just die. He died but he had a descendant. To inherit his property. Hallelujah. Come on, are we there together? Maybe next week I'll make you understand. Also you're writing a will. Something can have two witnesses who may not be included in the will as beneficiaries. That's very crucial. And I will tell you how there are two dimensions of the life of Christ that bear witness on the earth. Can you remember that? Okay. Now, let's just move on. In Psalm 2 verse 8, Jesus, remember, in Hebrews 1, 2, is the heir of all things. Is that okay? Now, in Psalm 2 verse 8, it says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heading for thy inheritance, and the utmost part of the earth for what? For thy possession. Uh, it's like God is speaking to who? To his descendant. Is that alright? Now in Psalm 72. Are we following so far? In Psalm 72 the Bible says. In, in his days. Whose days now? Christ's days. Shall the righteous flourish. And abundant of peace. So long as the moon endureth. Now. What he's saying by implication is he has possessed the nation and why he reigns. When you say in his days, understand. Now, if you look at this, you can't say, when you say in his days, go back there, you can't be saying it was when he was alive in Palestine. Hallelujah. That was not just that. It was prophetic of who he is going to be even at this moment, in relation to the New Testament, to the Holy Spirit. It's a progressive work. In his days, anytime, I told you that some time passed, anytime you see the word days, you should understand that it's dealing with the period of the activities of a person. A clear example is, in the days of Noah. Do you understand that? In the days of Noah means the period to which Noah got the information or the revelation about the flood and his activities all through in preparing the ark until the flood came and called the people and then he came down and planted a vineyard. All those period of time is called the days of Noah. Is that okay? So when you say in his days, all right, verse 7 again please. When you say in his days, the emphasis has to do with what will be going on. So what did he say is going to be happening in his days? The righteous shall flourish. Can I hear an amen to that? Very important. In his days. Because in these days of his, he's administering the will of the Father on your behalf as the advocate. Did you get that? The righteous shall flourish. And abundance of peace. So long as the moon endure it. What is that to say is. Nothing can stop. The flourishing of the righteous. And the abundance of peace. Of such people. As long as heaven and earth exist. When you use the word moon endure it. means. You know. You can't remove the moon from existing. 
Is that okay? Good. So, anytime he uses the word moon in this sense, he's trying to say, nothing can change what I'm saying. So, ordinarily, in the true sense of it, we as believers ought to be experiencing the abundance of peace, and not just that, we ought to do what? Flourish. Hallelujah. So, there is, there is a power. Now, let me use the common language. There's an anointing in your life for you to do what? To flourish. Because you are in his days. And that is part of the execution of what? Of the New Testament on your behalf. Can I get out of verse 28 now? Maybe verse number 8. And he now says, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Can you see? This is to do with his level of inheritance. What he said, Ask of me the nations. And I'll give them to you for a heaven down to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, basically, the flourishing, the peace which is coming through his days get to the ends of the universe. Hallelujah. Are you following that? Okay. Now, why is it so? Because he's an heir. Inherited this. From the father who owns the estate called the whole world. Are you there? Now let's see why it connects you. Romans 8 16. The spirit is a better witness with our spirit. That we are what? We are the children of God. Here's the next thing. Says. And if children. Verse 17. Then what? As. As of who? Hallelujah. So. <laughs> I just want to understand this. Then we are as, as of God. That means we are God's descendants. We descended from him. And he wrote the will. And the will consigned us. Are you following this now? Hallelujah. If children then as. Oh come on help me please. If children then as. As of God. Understand that. Very very important. Hallelujah. Are we still there? Verse 17. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with you, with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also do what? Be glorified together. And that word is very crucial. How do you suffer with him? When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. It is simply what we call association. Is that okay? When Adam seen you, were not there. But you were associated with the sins of Adam. Come on, somebody help me here. Therefore, when Jesus died, you were not there, but the Bible says you died with him. So you must believe that you died with him. All that connects you to everything that happens to him is your belief system. Hallelujah. If, if children then heirs, heirs of God, and don't forget, heirs have to do with heirship, that has to do with our descendants, of, of, of anyone that owns an estate or a property and must come into their inheritance because the owner of the property who wrote the will have died. I'm giving you a very deep mystery that can make you get settled in your life knowing exactly why you are worshipping the God that you are worshipping. Alright. The next thing says, let's move down a little bit. Praise the Lord. Are we there? If you look at this parable of Luke 15, verse number 11, I want to make you see 
what the, the power that's vested in an heir. In, in, in Luke 15 verse 7, you know the story of the prodigal son, I'm sure you don't. Alright. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And verse 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, I meant to understand in Palestine, this can practically happen. Even before the man dies, you can collect what belongs to you. But what I want you to understand is this. This guy knows exactly his rights. He knows he's an heir to the father's property. You're going to fast before me. Hallelujah. He knows he's an heir. He understood that he has a portion in the father's house. Is that all right? So the first thing that brings you to your inheritance is a knowing. Praise the Lord. The first thing that brings you to your inheritance is what? A knowing. The knowledge of what belongs to you. And that means you can ask the father for it. He asked the father. And the father gave to him. You can ask the father what belongs to you. Hallelujah. And see, the scripture simply says, what did he say? Ask. It shall be what? Now, so what are you asking for? You don't just ask. What are you asking for? You must ask for what you know belongs to you. This man came and said, hey, you just give me my portion. I know I have a portion in this house. I need to have mine now. Praise the living God. And the father gave. Hallelujah. Now, I want to also explain one more word in relation to the writing of will and testament. It means to bequest. It's a testamentary gift of a personal property. Traditionally, other than money. To me, this is very, very vital. One of the basic things, when you say bequest, when you bequest properties, it doesn't include money. Hallelujah. I want you to understand it because it's very important. To bequest means distributing a man's properties outside of physical cash. Now, if you are an heir of God and a joint heir for that matter, what are supposed to the things you are supposed to have as that of money? Because any time we think about what problem we can get from God, the first thing is cash. Hallelujah. But you know, I often say this, you don't even need to be a child of God to make money. In that sense. Am I right? You don't need to. And most of the wealthiest people in the universe today, they are not believers. So, it is not the yardstick to measuring your distance from God. So, to be blessed is very important. Testamentary gifts, and I want you to underline gift if you can write it down there, of personal properties. You run into fast. Okay, now watch this. Let's get down to an advocate again. An advocate is someone who speaks on behalf of another person. Listen very closely. Especially in a legal contest. Implicit, that is, enshrined in this concept 
is the notion that the represented lacks the knowledge, the skill, the ability of standing to speak for himself. To me, this is very vital. Hallelujah. Very vital. Why is it so? Now, this is where an advocate comes in after you've written your will and you've died and you're not caught. Maybe the person could be a very young person. He's underage or he can't speak. Or even if he can't speak, he doesn't know the legal implication of what the will is. Are you still there? So the advocate has to interpret. So by implication, the man does not know or does not have the ability or the standing to speak for what? For himself. So the advocate has to stand to speak on his behalf. Can we go to the book of Romans? Romans 8. Are we there? In Romans chapter 8, verse number 26. Look at what the Bible says. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our word. That means we lack knowledge. We lack ability. We can't speak for ourselves. We do not have the legal stand. I mean, we don't have the ability to stand to speak for ourselves. Is that okay? Infirmities, weaknesses, disabilities. For we know not what we should pray for. Ask. It shall be given. Are you following that? As we ought. In other words, though we're asking, but we don't really know what we should be asking for. These things are written in the will, but we don't know. Hallelujah. But the Spirit is said, make it what? Intercession. Help. Advocate. Comforter. Intercession for us with groanings which cannot be what? Altered. In other words, when you go to pray sometimes and you find yourself praying in the Spirit, it is no longer you that is doing the praying. The Holy Spirit is helping you now to communicate your thoughts to God. But and, and beyond that, the things that you didn't say in your prayers, the Holy Spirit takes them up to God and says, listen, listen, Father, even this thing that he did not mention, I included in your will for him. Are you following this? It's like saying, the Father will say, but why is he not talking about that? He said, he didn't know. He doesn't know how to say it. Because the Bible says, as we ought to pray. So that means we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. Are you catching the picture? So now the Holy Spirit brings the things that you don't communicate to God and makes them available to you by approaching God on your behalf. Are you getting this? An advocate. So, no, no, no. That tells me something. Listen to me. It is very crucial you know how to pray in this spirit. And I'm not just talking about like, that young girl speaking tongues, playing spirit. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> do you understand that? Yeah, you can do that. But when we talk about this, maybe I'm going to find something to teach you the four levels that I've come to understand about praying in the spirit. This one to me seems to be the deeper one where you don't even know what you are saying. Though you are praying, you don't know what you are saying. In fact, you cannot understand what you are saying because it is no longer you that is praying. It's something else speaking through you. Hallelujah. Let's for instance, 
Oh God, I need a car. Hmm? And nearly just bombarding heaven with that. I need a car. And the Holy Spirit, maybe you're praying in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is telling God, He doesn't only need a car, He needs a house too. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. He needs a house too. God will say, but house, because that's part of the will for Him. I saw it there, that's why I'm reminding you that part of the will you wrote concerning Him is that by now He should own a house. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit make an intercession for us with groaning, we cannot be altered. An advocate in the original world, like I said before, is a helper. Is that okay? So if, if the Spirit is interceding, it means he's doing what? He's helping us. Let's get on to the next step. We don't have to close with some of this tonight. Praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, let's get down to Romans very quickly. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 in the first place. Remember what we said, to bequest has to do with what? Gift other than money. Come on, are you there with me? I want you to understand this now. It's very important. Now, there are diversity of what? Oh, come on. That means, <laughs> in the will, God bequests certain gift to you. Other than money. And I'm interested in that. Now there are diversity of gifts. But the same spirit. Is that okay? And there are differences of administration. But the same Lord. Hallelujah. And there are diversity of operations. But it is the same God. Which worketh all in all. The next thing. But the manifestation of the spirit. Is given for every man to do what? That's the key thing. The gifts are meant for you to profit. So you go and read up the gift in 1 Corinthians 12. Your profiting can be made manifest when you begin to function in what God has given to you. Somebody was asking me the question yesterday. Pastor, can you tell me this in the office? How do I manifest this gift, or can I manifest two, three out of the gift of the Spirit? I simply say, listen to me. It is this way. Everybody, as long as you have the Holy Spirit, you have a right to manifest all of those gifts when the need arises. But, since it's distributing to every man to profit, there is one that is most prominent in your life. That is your gift. All of us, the Bible says, are not apostles. All of us, the Bible says, are not healers. Is that okay? But that is not to say you can pray for the sick. Did you get that now? When you pray for the sick, the gift of healing functions. But that is not to say you have the gift of healing as being a healer. Is that, is that all right? You can prophesy. That is not to say you are a prophet. But the Holy Spirit in you can make you prophesy if you understand exactly what I'm talking about now. What is prophecy? It's a bubbling up of the intents and thoughts of God. I'll give you an example. When Mary greeted Elizabeth, hmm? the Bible says the, the child will be lit for joy. Is that okay? But other than that, go and read the account again in the book of Luke. The Bible says 
Elizabeth burst forth into speaking, went into prophecy, describing everything about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's prophecy. That's prophecy. Something on your inside, bubbling up, flowing out, revealing the mind of God. And that is possible because you have the Holy Spirit. Out of their belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. Not river, rivers. So in the New Testament, this is part of your gift that God has bequeathed to you other than money. If you want to live well, you must come to the dimension of flowing in the Holy Spirit. The gift. Very crucial. Hallelujah. We're discussing with this guy and then he wanted to go. And he said, Pastor, can you pray with me? I said, what do you want? He said, I just want us to pray. I said, okay, fine. Lay hands on his head. And words came. Revelations came. And I told him, this is what God is telling you. He said, I'm amazed. Because just last week, I saw this. That is not to say I'm a prophet in that sense. Are you following what I'm talking about? But because God needs to confirm some things in his life, the prophetic word came very direct. And even the calling in his life was revealed to him instantly. Through the word. I remember when we in Singapore, when I finished my message, and I wanted somebody else to come and pray. Everybody said, no, you pray. I just prayed. Two persons came to me. Why you were praying you said this about me? Why you were praying you said this about me? I don't know them. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to them because that's what they need at that moment. And God can use you in that same way. Because it's part of your right as it been the will of God for you. It's a gift that is bequested to you other than physical cash. Hallelujah. Let's get there just a little bit. In the book of Romans chapter 12, look at what he has to say. Can I get your screen properly please? For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dared to every man the measure of faith. Now, this is direct connection to the gift that he has distributed into your life. For we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same Oh, glory to God. Did you get that? The next thing says, So we've been many in Christ, and every one member, one of what? Another. The next thing says, Having what? The gifts. Differing according to the grace that is given to us. Where that prophecy, let us prophesy. According to the proportion of faith. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He just gone. I'm going to see a lot of other things that you're supposed to do. And somebody struck my mind while I was studying. And the doll is speaking this. First Corinthians 12, he spoke about gift. Romans 12, he spoke about gift. Why are all the gifts mentioned in 12 chapters? Governmental authority. 12 is the number of governments. God's kingdom. 
Or he that exalted on exaltation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with what? Cheerfulness. That means even mercy is a gift. Hallelujah. He that showeth mercy. You can think of people like Mother Teresa. Glory to God. This is part of the will written down for you. So, so they be wondering what has God written down. You just need to find out. I remember speaking to someone some years back. Where God showed me for the first time what he really wants me to do. What he has graced me for. And I rushed with excitement. I made the prayer and said, hey, the Lord made me to see exactly what I'm going to be doing for him. He says, I said, you also can pray. And the person went into prayers and ran down to me and said, the Lord told me I belong to Romans chapter 12. And he gave him herbs. Very simple. Exhortation and help. That is his own unique gift. That the Lord bequeathed to him in his will. When he died. He wrote it down. You will function in this area. You, you see, the problem we have is we have not been able to understand that we have been receiving or we ought to have received some things from the Lord in his will. So when I'm talking about New Testament, not just another storybook. It has to do with the gift of God that he has deposited in the will that you must begin to find out and function in. Am I talking to someone tonight? You can't belong to the church, and I'm not just talking about this church. You can't belong to the body of Christ without coming to function in one of these gifts. You can't. Simply means you don't yet know. That you belong to a New Testament order. And there is an advocate who has come to unfold those things that are hidden for you from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. If there is anything you must desire this hour, Father, may I know my gift. It could be ensured mercy. Is that okay? I mean, just understand that. My gift is not necessary. You have to be apostle, prophet. No, 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 no. This gift, everybody can function in them. Am I right? Exhortation. Giving. Look at it. He that giveth. That's how some people, they have the grace of giving more than other people. And that is part of what God has written that. Now, oh, I, I, I wish I could come to this. Because the thing is, if you are given the gift of giving, that means God is going to abundantly bless you so that you can be a giver. Hallelujah. How many of you want to pray for that one? <laughs> That is where you can't lack. Because how will you give if you don't have? Are you following what I'm talking about? So now even mercy, even showing mercy, it is still a dimension of abundance. Just you need to pray for some of these things. Like we, we, when you come to church, you don't know. We pray for all kinds of things, but I give me this now. If you are, if you are having the gift of giving, you need a vehicle to carry your goods to the orphanage home. That means anytime you function in your giving, you already have a vehicle. Are you following this thing? This is part of what we call the New Testament. You are inclusive in the will of God. And the man that is helping to administer the will today is the Holy Spirit. That is why you need to respect him. You need to really believe in the Holy Spirit. You do not only need to speak in tongues. You must have a relationship with him. So that he directs you. So that you can come into a place of accurate discovery. Of what your will is. 
in the will of God. God bless you.